All right. Thank you, Chris. Uh, as Chris said, my name is Adam. For those of you who don't know, I'm one of the pastors here at the church. If you don't know my name, likely a guest. I want to give you a big, big warm welcome. Uh, for those of you that are here week in and week out, uh, Chris opened up the service and mentioned the, uh, just a heavy week that it was. And not just, I think, for here in, at Bethany. I think it was heavy across the nation. Uh, a number of things that transpired um, this past week, namely the week starting with uh, what happened in Las Vegas. So what I'm going to do, before we jump into the message, I just want to take a time of prayer. I want to kind of open this up with a time of prayer, share kind of just a little bit what we're praying about, and then we'll pray and then kind of jump in. Uh, first thing, uh, Chris mentioned last Sunday, uh, Lee Brubaker, uh, many of you know Lee or Bonnie, maybe you know Eric, Eric also attends here, some of you may know Missy, um, Lee's daughter. Um, Lee was in, a, again, a tragic motorcycle accident and is um, been told that he will likely um, probably not walk again, uh, dealing with paralysis. He's in the hospital right now fighting. Um, they've been working at um, fighting off pneumonia and trying to get tubes out of him and things to try and get him to the point where he can start to, that there's so much trauma in him right now. So many of you know Lee, love Lee, know Bonnie, love Bonnie and Eric. And so again, I just, we're going to take some time to pray for them uh, here. Uh, then we um, wake up Monday and found out that Esther Zemer, some of you know her, uh, they used to sit, Doc and Esther used to sit right back over there um, every Sunday, right in front of that soundboard wall there. Matter of fact, the reason I know that, not that I see him there, but when I candidated here at the church um, eight years ago, actually, probably right about this time of year, I came in and I sat, no one knew who I was, I wasn't here as a candidate, I sat right over there and I happened to sit in their seat. And so they let me know that that week in a, in a kind way. Um, but that was my introduction to Doc and Esther uh, before I was even hired here. And I could sense a sweet spirit at that point and a real love for one another. They were married just shy of 60 years. Um, so again, she went home to be with the Lord um, into Monday. And then, of course, we all wake up Monday morning. And, uh, you know, as I wake up and I'm beginning to hear the news and see stuff on my phone and just the horrors of what we saw transpire in Las Vegas, leaves us questioning and wondering. And, and so it's just been a hard week. Uh, I'm not sure where you come from. Maybe you've had a difficult week, and then we're watching, you know, another hurricane coming. And uh, it's just, so I thought what we'd do is just stop uh, and pray. And just, God, you know, this, it's a broken world that we live in. Uh, all of us deal with it at some level, whether it's through death and loss, uh, whether it's just through sin and, and the impacts in my life or uh, someone else's life and how it impacts my life. Uh, so I want to pray for that. I want to share one thing, too, about Esther. Um, since they, the family's desire, many of you have been asking, you know, why wasn't there a, a larger public service? And uh, Esther really wanted something private. So they had a graveside. So I thought what I could do is bring in here one story for you. Uh, we shared this at the graveside. And so those of you who know them well and are grieving that, can, I think this can just be some comfort uh, for you. Um, Doc and Esther, uh, Doc would often pray with Esther before they would go to bed at night, married close to 60 years. And so when she was in a hospital, she was battling cancer. And if, for those of you who may not know that, um, cancer is not what ended up taking her life, but uh, it, it was her body was so weak from it. She's in the hospital, and um, they have some tough decisions. Any of you have ever been in this position? You have some tough decisions. What do we do? Um, these decisions, you know, could be the result of saying goodbye at this point. And, you know, if we push, really try and push, then if she beats what she's in here right now for, then we've got to deal with still this tough battle of cancer. And so um, Doc called the family around, and they circled up in her bed, and she, he said before he went to leave, uh, the story that was shared, that he said, hey, can I just pray? Because I often pray with her before bed. And so he prayed, and he, and he really asked in his prayer, God, would you take her home? 
It's been a long battle. And as he said amen, um, she breathed her last right before amen. So I thought I'd share that with some of you that know them. And again, God in his grace, again, she is, is made new right now. She is free of the suffering and the cancer. So again, would you join me in prayer? I want to pray for Lee. I want to pray for the Zemer family. And then just pray for our nation. Uh, and, and the world around us and the brokenness, and then we'll jump into our message. God, thank you for Jesus. God, as we, it's just been a long week. Um, God, I start by praying for Lee. I pray for Bonnie uh, with that accident on Sunday. God, just the, 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 man, talking with him before I leave church last week and then get that news, it's just a reminder of how quick life changes out of control we are in, in so many ways. God, is uh, many are grieving that loss, God, I just say thank you for the church family that's here that have wrapped their arms around um, Bonnie and, and Eric and Missy. God, I've, I've heard, um, just heard from Bonnie how much that has meant. Uh, God, this church cares well, so thank you for that. And just keep praying for Bonnie. And she processes this and the change as, as she sees her husband lying in a bed and not fully responsive to everything yet. And it's a lot to unpack there. God, I just continue to pray for comfort for her. Um, pray for Lee. God, I've been praying and, and continue to firmly pray for healing. I know the doctor said uh, paralysis is, is what he has to look forward to in his life. And God, I ask that he walk again. I just continue to cry out to you and ask that he walk again. Um, heal him, make him strong once again. God, I lift up to you the Zemer family. And God, Doc, as he loses his bride of 60 years. And God, Eric and um, God, I just lift them up to you. Neil and Sharon. Um, God, how we grieve is we hurt and we lose. Um, God, we weren't meant to face death. But we do because it's a broken world. God, then I lift up to you our nation. I think of uh, just, I have no words for what I've been watching on the screen and listening to and catching the stories of, of just that brokenness. Just in a moment, 59 lives taken, a senseless act of violence and um, God of hurt and anger and whatever else that came from. God, we know it's a brokenness and a sin that is in our world. And God, I, I just ask right now, as we transition to open up your scriptures, God, that we would see hope and we would see life, no matter where we find ourselves and no matter how we hurt and no matter what we're hung up with, God, that we would know that you've stepped into our world uh, in the person of Jesus and you've conquered sin and death and there's gonna be a day coming when it will be completely gone because of your death and resurrection in your son, Jesus Christ. So God, we love you. Help us to see you clearly in this moment. Help us to embrace and walk in that grace and mercy that you give to us. And may we humbly uh, walk before you. In Jesus' name, amen. All righty. Um, transition here. We've been in this series, Road to Recovery. This is week five. And if some of you were with us throughout the series, remember in week one, we asked this question, um, and that is, what is it that you need recovery from? We've kind of stepped into this series. This, you know, we've launched Celebrate Recovery. Uh, it is a part of this church, and uh, it's a partnership with Petra and um, Weaverland and CrossNet and to bring that into our community. And so we thought, hey, let's just walk into it and not just say, hey, we're here to help them, but all of us at some level need recovery. 
recovery. And so if, if you were here in week one, try and grab that thing that when I ask this question, what does it need recovery from? What's the hurt, the habit, or the hang-up that, that has you, that thing that you can't quite control, the thing that you'd love to stop but you're not quite sure how, the thing that your wife keeps reminding you of or your husband keeps pointing out or maybe in something internally that you're aware of or a friend has made, that thing that you can't quite beat. Bring it to the front of your mind because this step this morning is the one that now I think most of us look forward to and that's the one that we start talking about real and lasting change. Uh, just kind of quick review. Step one, kind of bring us up to speed here. Just hit these real quick. Step one is realize that I'm not God. So if you're going to step in and you're going to walk with your hurts, habits, and habits, just say, you know what? I'm out of control. I can't control this thing. I can't manage this thing. At some level, that brokenness is unmanageable. I can't fix it. I'm not God. Then step two is earnestly believe that he exists. And I only earnestly believe that he exists because I think most of us in this room get that. Yeah, God is here, guys, but really believe that I matter to him and that he has the power to help me recover. Uh, And then step three, consciously choose to commit all my life and will to Christ's care and control. This is the week that we talked about Jesus. If you were here with us and Jesus engaged with this guy named Matthew, who was this outcast, who was this broken individual, and Jesus just looks at him and says, hey, come and follow me. So that's step three, this this offer to follow Jesus. Um, Last week, Pastor Chris, uh, I loved to just, you know, it was good for me to sit down, sat right over here uh, and just took in and allowed God to speak to me afresh and anew and loved how he, again, this, this uh, next step, openly confessed my faults to God, to myself and to someone else, asking God to step in and reveal to me my own deception, something we all have. We don't know that we don't know what we don't know. I mean, it's just the reality of life. We have blind spots and, and inviting God in to begin to expose in me and then in safety, stepping in with him and with a friend. Now, this morning, that brings us up to this step, and this is the step that a lot of us want to shortcut through those to jump into this one because this is the one that that involves real change. And I'd say don't shortcut because you aren't going to hit the change if you don't grab those early ones. So this week, vulnerably submit to every change God wants to make in my life and humbly ask him to remove my character defects. So vulnerably submit to the change. This is where we're going to step in and say, okay, I'm going to see change. Now, the change that we're talking about, here's... um, my youngest daughter has a birthday coming up here. Can't believe she's growing. She's now in second grade. And, but my youngest daughter absolutely loves all things living, whether it's a dog, whether it's a cat, a cow, a goat. I mean, it, all things living. And she loves to run into our backyard and, and find, and she shoots regularly, grab these little containers and pop holes all over the top and capture lightning bugs and spiders and anything living and crawling. One of the favorite creatures of hers is a caterpillar. Now, those of you who've had little kids, what is the child, my daughter, maybe your kids, why do they capture the caterpillar? What do they want to see it do? See, I want to see a cocoon. I want to see this thing. Uh, And, you know, these children hear about it. They want to watch it happen. So she's tried this multiple times. Usually the caterpillar dies before it ever uh, turns itself into a butterfly. But that's the change. Think of the caterpillar becoming a butterfly, that metamorphosis, the transformation. That is the change that we're going after. That is the change that you want. That is the change that we want. And here's the thing I want to say this morning. It is very possible. It is absolutely possible. No matter how long you've been battling that thing that you need recovery from, change is possible. 
Not just tweaks, not just management, but true change. Here's the link I want to give you between Pastor Chris and then this week. Oh, hold on, let me back up. Um, the link is this verse, 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10. It says, for the kind of sorrow, this, this, you ever had that, this, this brokenness, I'm sorry, uh, guilt, internal. For the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience leads away from sin and results in salvation. There's no regret for that kind of sorrow. But, and it's going to transition, but worldly sorrow, so there's a different kind. So this sorrow, uh, there, there's two kinds. This sorrow has this brokenness, this I'm sorry, this, um, this sense of guilt that is going to lead to someplace good. But yet there's another sorrow which lacks, say the word with me, which lacks repentance. So that's the difference between these two sorrows. Have you ever had someone look at you and say, I'm sorry, right? Maybe they did it for the 10th time. I'm sorry. And you're like, yeah, right, you are, right? The difference between that, yeah, right, and the person who is truly sorry is this word right here, repentance. And this word repentance is the word that moves us from that, what Pastor Chris talked last week about the open confession So I'm openly going to confess. You you can stare and look all day long. But if you don't do something now with it, and this is what we do with it, we do repentance. Now what repentance is, and we'll jump into a passage really good. A lot of people get this thing mixed up. A lot of people think that repentance means change. Now repentance will lead to change, but repentance does not mean change. It's moving in it. It's changing my thought. It's changing my processes. And it's moving me in a different direction. What repentance really is, is repentance is, kind of give you a definition, and here's how I understand it. Repentance is, number one, knowing who I am. Number two, knowing who God is. So it's, it's me looking at myself, me looking at God, and then measuring myself against him. Not measuring myself against the norms, against research, against my friends, my husband, my wife. But it's measuring myself against who God is. So I know who God is. I know who I am, and now that leads to this sorrow, I know what I have done. Oh my goodness, I don't measure up. So I put the ball in God's court. See, a lot of times my great fear with repentance when we just talk about change is people say, okay, I'm doing this bad thing here. I'm going to change and start doing this good thing here. And my struggle is, is we think, well, now wait a minute. You could actually be, it could be a very damaging sorrow because what you could be, I was doing this here because I wanted to find life and I didn't find life. So now I'm going to start doing this good thing here because I'm going to find life over here. And you're not going to find life in either one unless God is the source of your life. So what repentance truly is, is turning to him and saying, okay, God, I'm not in control, you are. God, I've been looking to find life and happiness and pleasure and satisfaction and all kinds of stuff, and a lot of times good things, but I'm now going to turn and find it in you. That's repentance. And I think one of the greatest evidence is not only to see this change in this fruit, but I think one of the greatest evidence is when I am truly repentant, I am dealing with things that no one else sees. I'm not just changing what you all see. When I'm truly repentant and there's true godly sorrow, I'm dealing with a heart attitude inside of me that that the people around me may never actually see. So that's repentance. That's the link to this step. Now, turn, if you will, to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. We'll look at two simple verses this morning and try and take these two verses apart at some level to help them be practical for us. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Page 944 in the Bibles there in the seats in front of you. I'd say if you don't have a Bible, um, grab that one, take it home with you, and I'd invite you to use it. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Now, as I read these verses, what I'd like you to do 
if you're willing. Sometimes people say to me, Adam, I don't understand the Bible. It's so hard for me to get. And I, there's sometimes I read the Bible and don't understand the Bible. This is one of those passages that's pretty clear, pretty straightforward. So I want to invite you into it. I'm going to read it straight through. I want to ask this question of you. How do you change? Look for the answer. Grab hold of the answer. Maybe even pull out your little note there in the bulletin or in your known journal and just write it down. How do you change? Write down the answer that you see. Grab hold of it. Okay, here it goes. Look for that answer. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all that he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. So what's the answer? How do you change? Do you have one? Do you see them? There's a lot of good ones in there. There's a couple. You may have off your bodies a living sacrifice. You may have changed the way I think. You may have don't conform to the world. There's, there's a lot of good answers. But here's what I want to share with you. There's an answer that I'm betting very few of you have because we skip right over it. Uh, it is, this first kind of came alive to me. I had a friend sit with me, a mentor, if you will, uh, even, even a counselor at some levels, sits down with me in my life, and, and I was working about three years ago changing some things. I had, had hit some crisis in my life through a number of things that kind of transpired, and I'm trying to unpack, and I'm trying to lead to change. And this friend kept saying to me, this mentor kept saying to me, Adam, you keep trying to do something, but change doesn't start with doing something. We miss this in this passage. What does change start with? There's a motivation to change. Look at, look at verse 1. And I want to start here because if you're not going to find true, lasting change without this piece. And so, we're going to talk about that in a minute. That and so links back to something. Dear brothers and sisters, he's talking to Christian people, people who put their faith in Jesus. I plead with you to give your bodies to God because, because of what? Do you see the motivation? Because I want you to give your bodies to God. We'll talk about that in a minute, what that means. I want you to give your bodies to God because of all that what? He's done for you. Let me show you in a different translation because I think this translation captures it a little more completely with what we're really going after here. Therefore, therefore links back. I'll talk about it. I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's what? This is where change goes wrong for so many of us. This is where change is going wrong for me over and over again. You have that pressure to change and you have that thing that you need to do and, you know, that thing to make her happy, to make him happy, to make, to make you, you just, I got to do this. What I've been doing is bad. I got to do something. And, and I've been challenged to say, no, 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 listen, step in and understand the mercies of God first and foremost and sit in that position. I think of this, therefore, therefore links back um, through the, the early parts of this letter. And this is this, Romans chapter 12 is this transitional part of this book. But if you go back, chapter 5, he writes, listen, you were an enemy of God, but because Jesus, who was rich in mercy, came and died for you, he brought you. When you were an enemy of God, he died for you and made you now a friend of God. You get into chapter 6, and chapter 6, comes and it says, listen, you were dead to sin now because you're in Jesus, and you're alive to Christ because grace, grace and mercy has conquered all. You 
You get into chapter 7, it says, but the law is here. But when you try and follow the law, the law inflames sin all the more. But praise God for Jesus, which transitions into chapter 8, which says there is now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. The chapter continues to flow. And the chapter says, listen, God has given you a spirit of adoption. You can call him dad. You can call him daddy is the actual word. He's not giving you a spirit of fear. The chapter goes on and says, for all of those that love God, everything is going to work out for the good. And then it goes on and says, listen, who can be against? you when God is for you. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. It gets into chapter 9 and chapter 10, which said, listen, God had this special relationship with Israel. He now shifts and moves into chapter 11, which says, he now has that same relationship with you because of Jesus. Therefore, in view of God's mercy, you know, what's happened so often when I read the scriptures, I may go to a 1 Peter chapter um, 1, verse 15. It says, be holy for I am holy. And we zero in on that. Yes, I need to be holy. I need to go do something. And we miss all of chapter 1, which is all about the mercies of God. We go to Ephesians chapter 5. And we read about the anger of God that is being poured out against all the wickedness that's around us. And it says, this kind of stuff is not going to inherit the kingdom of God. And we say, yeah, that's right. I've got to do something. And we miss the first part of Ephesians chapter 5, which is, as dearly loved children. I don't know why we have this propensity to run past the gospel, grace, and mercy of Jesus Christ. But it says, therefore... I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercies, if you're going to see true, lasting change in your life, it is important to understand you never graduate from the message of Jesus Christ. Often we think that the gospel saves non-Christians. The gospel is what is for them out there, but not for me in here. I'm already a Christian. I already believe that message. And then, and then, now that I believe that message, I'm going to mature as a Christian by choosing to live by biblical principles. I would say the more accurate way to say it is, yes, you are transformed by believing the gospel more deeply deeply as life goes on. Now, I know I'm passionate about that. I got all worked up. Let me back down a bit. <laughs> this is so passionate of mine because it has touched a very near and dear place in my life. I grew up in a Christian home. I grew up reading the Bible, knowing the Bible, going to a Christian school, and I missed this. That often when the scripture speaks to change, it's spoken in the context of the grace and the mercy that we have in the person of Jesus Christ. And if I'm going to see true, lasting change, I've got to take that grace and mercy deeper into my life on a daily, regular basis. And that's what brings transformation. Now, there are some things I need to do. As a result of his work in me, so let's look at what we're going to do. Look at verse 1. So as And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Give your bodies to God. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice. You say, what does that mean? Well, if you, if you would go back and read chapters 9, 10, and 11, he introduces the nation of Israel. And he talks about this tension. Well, are we Israel? Are we not Israel? Well, didn't, weren't God's people, this, these Jewish people? Where do I fit in? And so he addresses that head on. But in the context of that, you think back to the Jewish system. How did the Jews worship God? Before Jesus came into the world, how did the Jews do it? They brought animals to a place like this to sacrifice the animals. It was a living. They didn't bring a dead animal. They didn't drag in their dead ram, their dead goat. They didn't drag in a dead dove. They didn't drag in a dead heifer. They brought a living animal to the altar. And they came into the altar, and the priest slit that animal's throat. They spilled its blood all over the place. It's a gruesome, heinous act of worship to say, listen, sin is, sin is awful. 
And there has to be blood for sin. It was a foreshadowing of the coming of Jesus. So here we are in that context. He says, offer yourself as that living sacrifice. Don't go get a heifer. Don't go get a goat. Bring yourself. Now, so it brings this picture of dying to self, of saying, okay, this is all of me. My body is the vehicle of expression of my totality, all of my life. And I'm going to die to myself. And now the next phrase, look at the next one. Verse 2, don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world. So don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world. <laughs> My little girl who loves to capture caterpillars and all things living um, also is very creative and loves to play with Play-Doh. So I grabbed my favorite color, purple. Um, I went to her Play-Doh thing and said, hey, can I bring your Play-Doh? Here's what this, here's what this captures. Don't be conformed to the world. It's another way some of you heard it. Don't copy. Uh, the word is literally don't allow the world to squeeze you into a mold. You know, I, I find it interesting. Uh, in America, we think we're all so self-made and resilient and strong. And we're going to march against the beat of a different drum. That's not true. We're all very moldable. All of us. Now, some of us would think, ah, no, no. But we are. And there's a world system. You ever hear the word world? Let's talk about the word world. What does the word world mean in scripture? You ever hear the word world? Maybe John 3.16, for God so loved the, right? What does it mean? Well, the word world here, literally, it captures this picture. It's a system that says, basically, I'm going to create society that is, that is, you're able to be happy apart from God. That's what the word world, it's a whole system that's designed to say, you know what, I'm going to have my, I'm going to graduate college, I'm going to get married, I'm going to have my house with a picket fence and my 2.5 kids, and I'm going to get my corner office with my six-figure salary, I'm going to drive the nice car, pull it into the nice garage, and, and we have this whole system built of what we think is going to bring us happiness, satisfaction, joy. And all of it is good stuff. Marriage is good stuff. A house is a good thing. A car is a great thing. But we have this whole system. We just kind of leave God out. And we say, God, I hear God. I know, I know, I know, I know. I know, God. You say I need you to be happy. No, 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 God. I, I'm going to have this whole system here. This is going to make me happy. She's going to make me happy. He's going to make me happy. That's going to make me happy. And God all the while is saying, no, you've exchanged life for death. And this world is squishing and pushing and forming. And he says, don't conform to this. Live different. Live set apart. Now, but, there's a, there's a transition here. But, so, so instead of being conformed by the world, let God transform you into a new person. Now, this is a really cool word. This is a really cool word. I'm going to put the actual, I'm not a Greek scholar. I'll confess that. <laughs> the Bible here is this. This was originally written in Greek. Um, I struggle with English, let alone Greek. <laughs> I'm, not a, definitely, I'm not even an English scholar, let alone a Greek scholar. Um, but I, what I did, I want to I put a Greek, so I went to some of my Greek tools and, and looked at the original words here. And I'm just going to put the word transform up on the screen for you in its Greek version. I'm going to want you to, in, 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 with English letters, I want you to look at it and tell me what word you see. I'm going to put some pictures with you to help you, Okay. Here you go. What word is that? Now, I'm not good at English, so I, I'm pretty sure it's not how you spell metamorphosis. Am I right? I, I don't think. But <laughs> there it is. That's the Greek word for transform, to make new. So what God wants to do is to literally take you from this, this squirrely-looking little caterpillar to this gorgeous work of art. 
delicate, magnificent. That's what he wants to do in you. Now, now here's the beauty of this. I want to, I want to, there's, there's a hidden message in this that I think we read right over. So you said this thing called a chrysalis or a cocoon. So that this caterpillar has this hook on the end of himself that he, that he hooks it up and wraps all this silk around so it cannot come down. And then he starts to wrap himself up and then he sheds all his skin and then this thing spins around it. And then over time, and I'll, here's a question, how long is that caterpillar in this state right here? Take a guess. Tell the person beside you. I think he's there for, oh, good, throw an answer out. What do you think? When the conditions are right, when the summer is hot, he is in this cocoon for two to three weeks. Two to three weeks. Now, don't, now here's, here's what's really cool. How long, how long is the lifespan of this creature? How long? Go, tell, tell us, how long do you think a butterfly lives? From its caterpillar state till its death as a butterfly. Just take a guess. What do you think? Some of the kids here are going to be right, because I think they've probably studied this in school, right? Us old people, we, that's long gone. Do you know how long they live? On average, six weeks. Six weeks. Now, when the summer is really warm and the conditions are phenomenal, they can make it nine months. But it's rare. Six weeks. Now, do your math. So of its entire life, how much of its life is in this right here? It's one-third to half of its life is consumed inside of that. Now, here's why I share this. There's a message in Scripture I think we miss. When we think about change, we think of coming to a place like this. We think of going to church camp. If you're going to church camp as a kid, we think of sitting with a counselor. We think of going to some kind of healing service. We think of God reaching in and instantaneously, boom, you're better. You're good. You're healed. That's not how God generally works. He can work that way. I've seen him work that way. But that's not how God brings change to your and my life. I don't think the Scriptures endorse that fully. I think he says, hey, be a caterpillar. Wrap yourself up in there. Die to self and transform. Let me show you. Let me show you another verse. 2 Corinthians 3.18. So all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. So that veil means, um, again, this picture of Old Testament, the the early parts of the Bible, the Jewish worship system. There was a... a, um, a temple, and inside the temple was this, this holy of holy place where only the priests could go, where the glory of God resided, where no human being could really walk in except for that priest in only certain times. Well, when Jesus died, that veil, that, that thing was ripped in half. Uh, you also saw, maybe this harkens back to a guy named Moses who, who would come into the presence of God and he'd have to pull something down over his face because you couldn't look at God. And he say, that veil, that is all gone. It is removed. It is no more. You can now, because of Jesus, stare right in the face and the glory and the majesty of of God. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more. This is a key phrase, more and more. It's not an instantaneous bang. It's this more and more like him as we are. There it is. You know what that word is? Guess what that word is? Metamorphosis. The same exact word. Now, let me show you another translation of this. Like I think same, I love reading different translations. It gives you kind of different angles of this, but here it is. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, we look at him, are being transformed, there's our metamorphosis, into his image with ever-increasing glory. It doesn't happen overnight. So can I offer this suggestion as you think about change? 
I think this doesn't happen this way because if God were to just instantaneously step in and zap me and I'm done with all this, I think we'd never really wrestle with what is it that I'm looking to to find life. In those moments when I I need to step in and it's messy and it's hard and I think, man, why can't God just fix all this? I think why he doesn't is he's leaving me there to wrestle and struggle, to learn to depend on him, to learn to stop grabbing hold of other stuff to find life, but learn to just step in and find life in him. I'd say focus changing one defect at a time. If you're a driven bugger like I am, (laughs) that's hard. We get overwhelmed. We got that list. I got 10 things on that list. I need to take care of and I'm going to take care of. I'd say that doesn't work. Focus on one at a time. Focus on one victory one day at a time. Focus on progress, not perfection. Everyone talks about vision. Vision is so important. Vision is important. I'm a visionary to the core. But I would say don't even throw the destination and the vision out because you're all just saying, I got to get there. I got to get there. I'd say, no, forget that. Where are you today? And let's take a step. Ever-increasing glory. You're not going to change overnight. So when you walk out of that office or you leave a room like this or you come home from camp and you wake up the next morning and think, oh, my goodness, I did it again. It's okay. Take a step. The cool thing is I love how science and the Bible work together. I want to share one that really the science knows this. This is right here in the pages of Scripture. Science says that if right now in this service... You have compulsion to change something. You feel, you're you're emotionally charged. I've got to go make a change. If you don't do something in the next 48 hours, it's gone. It'll never happen. Now, if you do something within 48 hours, all you're doing is triggering short-term memory. You've got to move that change into long-term memory. To do that, to become an official long-term habit, you've got to do something repeatedly for 21 days is what science will tell you. 21 days. So if I get up out of this service and I say, okay, I'm not doing a personal quiet time. I'm going to start doing a personal quiet time. If I don't do that within the next two days, it's not going to happen. And then if I don't do it consistently for the next 21 days, it's never going to happen. It's never going to be permanent change. Then to really make it permanent, so it becomes a habit at 21 days, to make it a permanent habit, I've got to do two 21 more day cycles. 63 days total. When do most of us quit? I need to change, I need to change. When do most of us quit? Within 48 hours. This is too hard. I can't do it. She expects too much. He expects too much. My boss is a jerk. The circumstances are stacked against me. I can't do this, and we quit. And God is saying, crawl up into that chrysalis. Die to self. Now, look at the rest of this. I'm going to give you one more thing, and then we're wrapping up. So be transformed. Ready? Look at verse 2. Don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you what? See, you've got to choose. Yeah, God's going to do something for you. God's going to work this work inside of you. Now you need to step in. And, and here's the way I'd say it. Deuteronomy, let me say it this way. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 19. Today, I give you the choice between life and death, between blessing and curses. Now I call on heaven and earth to witness the choice you make. Oh, that you would choose. There it is. Oh, that you would choose life. 
so that you and your descendants might live. So the course is laid out for you. Which do you want? Make a choice. And the choice comes with altering my thinking. I'd say focus on what you want, not what you don't want. So often in change, we beat ourselves up. I'm such a turd. I'm such a loser. I can't believe I did this. And we heap all this stuff in on us. And we think about all the things that we shouldn't be doing. Here's how you change. You change by focusing on what's true and right. Look at Philippians 4.8. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts. This is your thinking on what is true. Say these with me. I'm going to read. On what is? Okay, awesome. And, 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 and. There it is. Spend your time thinking. Thinking transforms life. Spend your time thinking about these. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Do you know what you should think about yourself? Come back to where we started. What is true of every... If you're the person of Jesus in you, you are righteous and holy and pure. Think about that. Think about it. Quit thinking about, oh, what a loser I am. can't believe I did that again. Think about who you are. Think about what is right and pure and lovely and excellent. Think about that. Here's the thing, if you guys have, now I'm going to give you some more science, because science dovetails with this so beautifully. If you've never engaged a person by the name of Dr. Carolyn Leaf, write her down and go home and YouTube her. Dr. Carolyn Leaf is a neuroscientist. She's a believer in Jesus. And she's done a lot of work on, the, on this reality of thinking and thinking transforming. Her book, Who Switched Off My Brain, she's got a whole teaching on it. And in that, I engaged her for the first time, I was at a conference, a national conference about four years ago, and she puts a picture up on the screen like this. Do you know what this is? You know what that's a picture of? All these tree-like things. You know what they are? They're your thoughts. They're your thoughts. Here's the thing I want you to understand. Your thoughts are real things that occupy real space within your head. People think, well, I'm free to think. No, what you think shapes who you are. If you want to transform your life, you've got to step in and say, I've got to transform my thinking. And what she talks about, again, I'm going to do this justice because I'm not a neuroscientist, um, but, but these darker ones, she'll explain. See the darker dots there? They're more entrenched thoughts. And proteins begin to form and feed these things. And it impacts your entire body. She goes on to say, and her research shows, that 75% of the illness that we face today is because of these toxic when they go toxic on us. So I love how scripture and science work together and God steps in and says, listen, consider my mercies. In, the, in view of my mercies, offer your bodies a living sacrifice. Don't conform to the world. Be transformed. Allow me to transform you and change your thinking. And life will change. And look at the final, look at the promise at the end here. Then... If you do this, then you will learn to know God's will for you. So how many of you want to know God's will for your life? You say, yeah, that's me, that's me. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. A transformed mind begins to approve and desire the will of God. Now, here's where I want to end. I want to end by just sharing a vulnerable piece of my journey, of how this has worked in me even currently. So two weeks ago, I'm sitting down um, to do the known journal that we have. If you're a part of Bethany, you know, we talk about this thing called a known journal. Um, and we encourage you to, to, to step in and read the scriptures for yourself on a daily, regular basis. 
So I do the known journal for my personal discipline in that. I do it right along with you. Two weeks ago, I think it was, we were in this verse right here. 1 Peter chapter 5. Um, and I'm just going to put up part, the second half of verse 5 and verse 7. So I, I step in to read this. I sit down in that particular morning. I, start, I get out my Bible. I start reading. And I want to share the context for you. Um, last November, I sat down with, with someone I highly respect, someone I consider a mentor to me, and I was wrestling with some, some areas of leadership. And I'm sitting down with this guy, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm kind of pouring my heart out, and he's asking me questions, and, and he looks at me and says, Adam, you need to change. He goes, I get why you've done this in leadership. And he says, I highly value this principle that you've built your leadership on, yet you have it out of balance. And he names something very specific about my leadership that is out of balance that I need to change and embrace this other piece of it. As I went home from that exchange, I'm beginning to think and look at and realize, oh man, he's right, I can see it. And I can see the hurt that it's caused others in my life, especially those who work with me and for me. And I'm like, man, i got to address this. I'm sitting then, fast forward a little bit, I'm sitting with someone who worked for me in the past, in a past context. And this person looks at me and, I'm, and we're talking. I say, can I ask you a question? This is one of the scariest things. You ever ask someone, hey, how do you experience me? Husbands, go home and ask your wife sometime. How do you experience me as a husband? Wives, ask your, ask your, ask your uh, husbands, how do you experience me as a wife? So I said to this person, how did you experience me as a quote-unquote boss? And so this person went on to talk to me, and they began to name. They said, well, Adam, honestly, I loved, and they named this again, but man, I was scared because you missed this. I said, you were scared. They said, yeah, I was. Really? It hit me square in the face. Now, that dovetailed with some other personal changes I'm trying to make. Them. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm, a, I'm neurotic about changing. If you get around me, it's, it's unhealthy. I know. I'm, I see a counselor for it. I'm working on it. Um, but I'm always trying to change. And so I'm, I'm, I'm sitting here, but it's, it's hitting me in such a real way because I'm realizing I've hurt people because I've not done this well. So I'm, in that context, I'm sitting, I engage this passage. God opposes the proud. Now here's why I show you this passage. This passage brings all of our steps to, to this point, all kind of wrapped up in one. God opposes the proud. That's step one. You are not God, but gives grace to the humble. That's step two. He, he's going to help those. He, he wants you matter to him. So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God, and at the right time, he will lift you up in honor. Give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. Now, I don't know about you, but every time I do my quiet time and I come to a familiar passage, this is a really familiar passage to me, I, I begin to kind of shut down. You ever do that? You're like, oh, I've read this before. Okay, this is nice, God. Let's move on. So I'm about ready to move on because I'm realizing a humble person is a person who gives all their worries and cares to God. So if I'm truly humble, I'm constantly bringing before God my cares and worries, and I'm not daydreaming. I'm not creating an alternate reality. I'm, not, I'm just bringing it all to him. Now, for he cares about you. But I said, okay, God, what message do you have for me this morning? So I stepped back, took a deep breath, and leaned in and read it one more time. I want to read it to you. I want to pause when I hit the section. It's like, I don't know if you ever had this experience. You're reading and something just like glows. It's like you don't even see anything else in the page right there. You're like, oh, my word. Here's what I saw. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God. And at the right time, he will lift you up in honor. That's what I'll end with. Some of you need to hear this this morning. God is working in you. 
He started something in you, he will carry it to the end. He's asking you to be humble, to bring it all to him, and at the right time. And I sat there that morning, I began to cry, and I just said, okay, God, the time's not yet. I don't know when the time is, but God, I look forward to you lifting me up in honor. And then here's what hit me, and this is what I'll go to prayer with. This is what hit me. This has been Jesus' life. Think about Jesus. Was Jesus arrogant and proud? No. He emptied himself of, of, of divinity in, in many ways. He truly still God, but, he, but he, all those things that he could, he, he kind of set aside and said, here I am, I'm emptied. And so much so that he hung himself on a cross. But there's coming a day, many of you know this, Revelation chapter four and five, when every knee will bow before him. In due time, God said to Jesus, I will lift you up. So I don't know what season you're in right now. You might still be a little fuzzy caterpillar crawling around, not realizing the need for change. I pray that God brings it to you in a gracious way. You may be that caterpillar who's just begun to hang, hang himself on the tree and begin to wrap himself up. Understand that there's a season ahead of you. Lean in and allow the death to happen. If you don't allow the death to come, you'll never experience the life. Or maybe you're in the back end and you're breaking out of that thing and you're starting to feel like, oh my goodness, here comes my season of honor when I'm going to see the change and I'm going to spread my wings and I'm going to fly. So step in. In view of God's mercies, off your bodies of living sacrifice, don't be conformed to the world, change your thinking. God, thank you so much for Jesus. God, thank you that he came and humbled himself and emptied himself. And you lifted him up. He is there sitting beside you right now. The work is done. And God, those of us in this room that have, that have called out to him, that have put our faith and trust in him, God, we know that we are in you. We are righteous. We are holy. We are, we are made good. God, let us, let us marinate in that, drive it into our hearts every single day, never graduate from the grace and the mercies of Jesus. May we never get over that. God, for those in this room that are, that are not there, God, I pray, I pray for them. Pray that they would lean in, they would question who you are, they would wrestle with who Jesus is, they would, they would wrestle with their own sin and brokenness and, and really get honest about it. And God, maybe come to the place where they just say, okay, I'm a sinner, I need help, I can't fix myself, and they put their faith and trust in Jesus. God, finally, I pray for the change process in all of us. God, we want to be changed people. Maybe some in here, not even for the right reasons, just because life has gotten really hard. But God, we want to change. We want to reflect you and your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for working in us. Thank you for transforming us. And help us to vulnerably submit to that change process, every one of us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.